Guatney Unplugged, hosted by Scott Romine, is brought to you by Guatney Buick GMC at 5700 Landers Road in North Little Rock, next to Sam's Club. Call 501-945-4444 or visit GMC.com. GMC, we are professional grade. Hey, Scott Romine here. We're going to talk about some of my favorite movies, some awesome stuff that came out of Universal Studios back in their prime. Vaughn Babison, he started at Universal Studios from 1976 and worked there till 1983 and worked his way through popular films like Airport 77, Jaws 2, one of my favorites, Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers, Knight Rider, and more. How are you, Vaughn? Oh, I'm having a great time. Man, How are you doing today, oh, Scott? I'm great. It's great to talk to you. You've worked... You were there on all this stuff that I just love so much. Did you grow up there in California around this stuff? Yeah, I, I was born in Hollywood, so I'm really the native son. And uh, my dad was a famous jazz bass player, played with Benny Goodman, Louis Armstrong, Charlie Parker, just about everybody you can imagine. Uh, and my grandfather was an Academy Award-nominated film editor for Universal for 40 years, and dating back to films like My Man Godfrey in 1936, and he did a bunch of Habit and Costello movies, and just uh, an amazing number of films for Universal for his life. So I grow grew up in the entertainment field all my life. <laughs> did you get inside Universal as a kid before you ever worked there? No, I, I used to hang out down at, at in Hollywood at my dad's office in the recording studio. So I, I was generally in my youth. I was generally meeting amazing jazz musicians, like the best players in the world. <laughs> wow! And uh, and and I didn't really get exposed to film until I was hired at Universal. Um, uh, that was I was twenty one, believe it or not, twenty one years old. Well, and just and it just was amazing, amazing experience. Well, if you're 68 <laughs> and you grew up in this recording studio, I guess you saw the days where a song was recorded live, where everybody was in the room together at the same time. This would have been before all the multi-tracking and all of that business, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, my dad, you know, back in the 40s and 50s, they couldn't even overdub. You know, they didn't have things like drum machines or any of that. <laughs> if, if you wanted if you wanted to play with a drummer, you had to go find one, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> wow. And so, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I saw the earliest days. In fact, my dad got the very first uh, Sony digital recording uh, video machine in the 70s in Los Angeles. And they were trying to archive all the old tapes, the old analog tapes onto videotape. Um, and believe it or not, <laughs> 20 years later, it turns out that the analog tapes are the ones that have survived. Is that and the digital, wild? Uh, the digital tape was too brittle and, and it just <laughs> shatters. <laughs> and there's no way to replace digital information. So, you know, in an analog, you can kind of all the mic bleed from all the other mics. You can kind of put it all together. You can reconstruct something if it's missing, but you can't do that with digital. If, if it's gone, it's gone, baby. <laughs> That's true. It's like TV stations. When it was analog, you might get a fuzzy picture. When it's digital, you just get a blue screen. You don't, exactly. you don't get a little, it's all or nothing these days. It's all or nothing. You got That's it. Right. So what kind of <laughs> movies and TV shows were your favorites before you end up working in movies? 
Oh, boy, that's tough. I mean, I, I have to admit, I was a huge Jaws fan. Because oh, yeah. uh, that came out in 75, and and I was still in college at that time. So, um, so it was just, what an amazing movie. I, also, I have to say, Exorcist. The Exorcist was, was another phenomenal film that I just just was amazed at. Well, um, the sequel to Exorcist didn't live up to the original, but I think no. the, the, the sequel to <laughs> Jaws, Jaws 2, which you worked on, and we'll get into that, I, sure. I think it really holds up uh, compared to the original film. Now, when you hired on, how did you get hired at Universal Studios? Well, first of all, it was probably the busiest time Universal had ever seen. And they had every single stage on the lot was shooting something, a movie or a TV show. And they were even renting studios on other lots like Hollywood General and MGM. <laughs> So they, they were, in fact, they needed people so badly, they didn't have anyone on the books. Ah. And so I got, I was one with the, what they called a 30-day wonder. <laughs> uh, I, I was hired on, I walked onto the lot, shook hands with the guy who hired me, was wa- working the next day. Um, but what happens is, traditionally, you would work 30 days and you'd get your three card in the union. And then you'd work another period of time and you'd get your two card and then you'd work another period, you know, you'd work your way up the ladder to get to the highest seniority. Sure. Well, the 30 day wonders, (laughs) because they didn't have anybody on the books. Once you put in 30 days, you got an instant one card. So (laughs) after my first 30 days of work, I had the top seniority of anyone that was there on the lot. (laughs) Oh, wow. So, now, I, oh, I, I have to also say, I was hired as a craft service man, so I was actually a laborer. So, uh, there, there are two different labor departments on the lot. There's on production and off production, and craft service was on production labor. So we would work with any crew that is actually on a set, on a working set with the director and everything. So my very first job, I went to a mansion in Glendale with a greens crew on rich man, poor man, <laughs> really? of all things. Yeah. Well, I always and thought like had... craft services is like the food people these days, correct? Well, well, that's, that's kind of what craft service was all about. But ah. they were specifically designated to assist on-camera crews when they needed help. I got you. So uh, what happened, like I said, I went to the the greens crew first. Um, The next day after I got off a rich man, poor man, I only worked that for two weeks. Um, They sent me to airport 77, uh, stage 27. And, you know, I walk into the stage and here's an airplane, airplane fuselage in the middle of a huge pit of water (laughs) with with five dump tanks of 13,000 gallons of water that would on cue roll and pour, have water come crashing through the fuselage of this airplane. And I was in love. I, I, I found a home. I didn't leave for five months of principal photography. Um, it was just what, what an amazing experience at 21 years old. Oh, you know, you I could, was just, yeah, you couldn't drag me uh, away from something like that. What did universal change about their business model 
that they didn't need crews like yours after 83 or whatever it was. Sure. Yeah. Well, that actually, that was pretty much the time I left. Um, not only was CGI becoming prevalent, uh, Universal decided that it was it was better for them, monetarily speaking, to let independent productions put the bill of producing films. And if they like it, then they would just buy the distribution rights. So they would they would still score, you know, they'd still make the money off the film, but they'd let the smaller production company actually foot the production bill and not have to take that risk. So they ah. really, boy, they they cut down to a skeleton crew on the lot. They changed everything. That's when they uh, they moved the psycho house from where it originally stood up to a, a special little hill just for the tours. You know, the Munzer house, the same thing. They they really started to focus all their attentions on the tours because they really were raking it in on the tours. Um, you know, so uh, and in fact, they still do. <laughs> oh, sure they <laughs> Even, do. Even through COVID, they still, you know, that's one of the most popular destinations in Southern California. <laughs> oh, no question. I've done it many times, and it, it is an incredible tour. It's really something, you know, everybody needs to experience if they love movies. Go see where they were made. What a talk. You kind of mentioned it. I really want to know what your memories are of the tram tours starting at Universal studios because i have to guess that that started somewhat small before this thing started turning into a theme park what do you what do you remember of that and i understand there was even a rule made that they were not allowed to do tours of actual movies in production there was some kind of a sag rule or something and that's why you got the the river flood and some other gags to entertain people rather than you know, going by a real set. Yeah, that's pretty much true. Um, uh, you know, you would you would maybe pass by a stage and see someone come out and they'd go, oh, look, it's the bubble. you know, right. <laughs> that would, <laughs> but but for the most part, yeah, it was it was the parting of the Red Sea and it was the bridge that breaks down. Um, you know, they they just started to do. Uh, what was the time time tunnel? Uh, that was one of the rides. That, what would that you know, they, do? It just it was a kind of an optical illusion. They drew drove through this cave with the tram, and it would be turning like the time tunnel, like you were traveling through time. Cool. It was just yeah. It was it was interesting, um, but very simplistic compared to like Waterworld and you know, sure. and uh, Harry Potter and all these big things that they do now. They're all like, you know, they hire actors who act out the parts and, you know, it, it's, it's big time now, but back then, yeah, it was just the, the simplest little gags that they had. And it would always be so unrealistic to me. <laughs> If, when I'm working in the back lot, I'm like digging a hole or I'm sweeping down a set or I'm doing some kind of menial task and all along comes a freaking tram. Oh, of sure. <laughs> and it's like, oh, here's a guy working. <laughs> you know? Right. That's right. 
but it was my job. So it was just kind of surreal to have my job being an entertainment place, you know, a, a, a theme park. It was very, very surreal. Yeah, I think they even worked it into like an episode of Knight Rider and an episode of the A-Team. I think in the intro to the A-Team, you see George Pappard like on the tour thing, dressed as Godzilla or something, you know, they kind of worked it into oh. some other things. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, that was probably, you know, just a real kind of cheap, easy way to write a script. I think a lot of shows like that. I think Rockford Files probably had one on a, on a stage. Uh, you know, there was sure. some some crazy guy running around killing people on the set. And <laughs> oh, yeah. So they had to, you know. You got to do that. But yeah, well, it's it's easy for the writers that way, and and location because you it's all here, you know. <laughs> That's right. I want to ask because you were there in '79, and there's literally no footage of this. They incorporated some kind of a live action Battlestar Galactica into the tram tour. Do you remember hmm. this? They they actually had Cylons and real people playing characters, and I guess the tram would stop, and they would put this on. Do you remember that at all? Well, not really. I, I have to admit, you know, it's that the, the tours were really a separate thing from the lower lot. We were always referred to the lower. Oh, you work on the lower lot. But that means we were in the actual productions, um, you know, up on the hill. That's where the tours were. And so uh, we didn't I don't know. We didn't really focus much attention. I, I remember having to work on Falls Lake, which uh, was right next to uh, the 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 Jaws exhibit, the the lake that was the Jaws right. shark comes up and attacks oh, sure. people. Yeah, yeah. But well, uh, do you remember the real orca being there? Supposedly Spielberg had it brought there after the filming of the first Jaws, and it was there for a few years and disappeared. Well. It very well could have been the, the that actual boat that was in the tours. Wow! Um, you yeah, know, I believe the, the it was. shark. The <laughs> shark was one of the sharks, but it was exaggerated. I remember the teeth on the on the tour shark was just they were just ridiculous. Yeah, they call it huge carrot teeth. Carrot teeth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Teeth. Yeah, it had a name. They didn't look anything like the ones that we made. You know, for the actual shark. Right. So. How did you get the job on Jaws two? Well. Working my butt off on Airport 77. <laughs> right. There there was an area uh, on the lower lot there uh, across from Stage 27, which was our home for Airport 77. And since I was kind of the runner, I was the new guy, I, I would be the guy that would go get things for everybody. And so they, the pre, there, there was an area called prefab, or prefabrication. And that's where they built the actual sharks mm -hmm. and the plat the huge platform that it sat on. And it was adjacent to where stage 27 was. So the, the whole crew, there must've been 20 guys working in prefab at that time. Um, they would see me <laughs> you know, going to the mill 50 times a day. <laughs> right. And they just remark how freaking hard Vaughn works. <laughs> And literally, the day I was sent back to the shop from Airport 77, uh, Jaws 2 requested me by name to come work on the crew. Oh, that's and great. that was my next year and a half. 
Where, <laughs> including Vaughn, seven months in Navarre Beach, you know. <laughs> Vaughn, when you get to Florida, are you aware, and there's no one's ever seen footage of this, that they shot for a month or two in Martha's Vineyard with a completely different script for Jaws 2, kind of based on the mafia, and Ricky Schroeder's first on-camera acting job was playing Roy Scheider's son, Right. And they were not happy with this, scrapped it all, new script, moved to Florida. Did you know that back then? Well, you know, actually there was more information that, about um, the director. Really? Uh, yeah. What was his name? Schwartz. There was a French guy. Well, no, Geno is who they brought in. Right, that's right. It, it, was, it was the first guy. Hancock, was his name Hancock? I think it was Hancock. Yeah, that's you're right. You're uh, right. And, and yeah, he so he was up in Martha's Vineyard. Yep. And I never saw him. I, I was see Martha's Vineyard didn't have a union rule that had to have a craft service man on the crew. And so I didn't go on the location. I loaded the trucks up and I waved at them as they drove away. But that was really only about a month. And three weeks later, <laughs> at 3:30 in the afternoon, when I'm just getting off my eight-hour shift. My boss came up to me and said, do you want to go to Florida? Well, sure. <laughs> and I said, can I have a day to think about it? And he said, no. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And I said, okay. <laughs> so he said, you know, like, pack, pack for two weeks. <laughs> so I, I went home to Pacoima <laughs> and, and eight hours later, because you had to have at least eight hours off or they'd have to pay you double gold time. Oh. So so at eleven thirty at night, a black limousine comes to my house in Pacoima oh and takes me to LAX. <laughs> and there was only one other, there was like an assistant cameraman and myself, and we were the only two crewmen who were being flown out to the location. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. To go make Jaws too. <laughs> So, yeah, so they asked Remy by name. <laughs> they said, okay, you can have one craft serviceman. Okay, we went Vaughn. <laughs> just oh, like, that's Whoa. so good. And I'll tell you, all the old guys who had all the original one cards, they were not happy about me being able to take the biggest location <laughs> in oh, years. <laughs> oh, that's so good. And so much of the, the, the stuff in the film, the hotel is gone. From a hurricane, oh, I, know. I understand. Yep. It's so changed down there. I think Jaws 2, personally, is up there in, in the realm of the best sequels. Rathacon, Empire Strikes Back, Jaws 2. I love that film, Vaughn. I mean, I, is, is that one of your favorites you worked on? Oh, no doubt about it, of course. I mean, I actually, I actually controlled the Jaws. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> the 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 beauty of Jaws two for me personally uh, was that it was on a location. We were seven months away from the studio lot, so we didn't have the upper echelon breathing down our necks all the time. So when you're on location, you can kind of bend rules and do things that you ordinarily wouldn't do. Sure. So uh, I got certified as a diver, and they bumped me up to effects. So I was officially an effects man. And and what happened for the rest of my career at Universal, I was the kind of guy that I would be an extra set of hands if they needed me. Right. So I was in demand. I was like one of the 
in fact, probably the main craft service man in that crew. There was a small crew of craft service in special effects that was run by Joe Pomowski, my boss. We've, and, had, we've had Joe Alves on the show before, man. He, oh, he yeah. talks about what a you know chore it was, I guess, because you filmed <laughs> Jaws 2 at sea like you did the other one. Well, that's, you know, who, who thought it was a good idea to produce a movie in, in the ocean? You know? <laughs> yeah, it seems like a great idea at the time, you know? I guess. <laughs> I got to ask you the obvious question that people are probably thinking in their head. You get scuba certified. Is it creepy being in the water with this mechanical shark? What did you have any experience with? You know, this is this is kind of scary, really. It's it's a trip. It really is. I'll I'll tell you when when the water's murky, yeah, and, and it's low visibility. You're swimming through water, and you know that this is a fake shark. You know it is, but as you get closer, the image of that thing just starts to come into. Oh my vision. gosh. Oh, and, and that is the heart starter. <laughs> Cause once you see that image, that big image, it's just like, Oh my God. <sighs> but then you realize, of course, it's a fake shark. And, and there were reports that there were real sharks around, but I never saw a real shark. Thank God. Otherwise I probably wouldn't got in the water anymore. <laughs> Vaughn, what was um, the limitation? I mean, you worked on the shark. There, you obviously it was not going to work if it worked on a train track or whatever. What was the depths you had to have, and how far off the shore are you really when you're shooting some of these things? Well, you know, you we had to be far enough away from land to where it wasn't seen in the distance, right? Um, you know, so uh, so we were a good distance out. We there there was a, a pier that was built right there at the Navarre Beach Holiday Inn, and we would be picked up at the end of the pier by Boston whalers and they would have to shuttle us out to where the set was. <laughs> right. You call the set. Sure, the set. <laughs> but but we had we had actually three sharks. Two of them were platform sharks, one mounted from the left and one mounted from the right depending on camera angle. And then there was the sea sled shark. That was the crew that I worked on. A sea sled shark was towed by a huge umbilical cord of cables and air hoses that were controlled, had air compressors on the ship that we towed it with. So anytime there was a long range scene of the shark swimming, uh, that was the sea sled shark. Like the shark chasing the water skiing girl. Exactly. You got it. You see, and, and when it was close, like the helicopter attack, that's when they incorporated the platform shark because that the the motion you didn't need long range motion he was just right there attacking the helicopter you know yeah, um, same that's thing a with great the, scene too the heli <laughs> I encourage people to go on YouTube there is a director's cut of that scene you know that scene was cut down quite a bit for the theatrical release I guess where you see the the you know the helicopter pilot all terrified inside and all there was yeah. I guess there was more to what you filmed than than what we ever saw. Oh, of course. Oh, there always is. There there always is. I mean, there's there's always scenes on the cutting room floor as they say. Sure. Um that's what editing is all about, you know, and you you've got to work through the best scenes as much as you can. You know, the the nightmare it, it, and I'm sure you've seen it. Um 
the one, the scene where Mike is just barely pulled into the boat just before the shark bites oh, yeah. down. You see the mechanics in his mouth. And you see the mechanical, I know. And everybody just bitches that out so much. Oh, it's yeah. just so, but, but you didn't, I mean, back then there was, we didn't have VCRs. We didn't have videotape. You couldn't, you couldn't freeze frame a single shot and see no. what you saw. You know, no. it all happened in real time. So it, there was never a stink about it until people could freeze that frame and say, oh, look, oh my God, right. oh, look at that, oh, terrible, you know? It, yeah. It's like, oh. it also pinches his mouth up kind of unnaturally right. in a triangle. Now everybody's well, going to go watch Jaws 2, but a lot of people know about that, though, you know. That was, that was actually a cable in the rigging of the sailboat that got hung up on his mouth. Really? Yes, so that's right where you see the crease, the bend. Yeah, there's actually a cable right there that's that's that goes up into the rigging of the sailboat. But it's you just can't really see. It's happened so fast, even freeze frame, you don't really see the cable. But you can see the ram down in his mouth, and everybody gets all freaked out. And then they, of course, they change the <laughs> the the um. <laughs> contrast on the film i mean on the picture itself so it makes it much more prevalent oh yeah look, look there's the ram right there you can see it <laughs> you know? so like that uh, shot vaughn how many times would you have attempted that shot was that a one take and we're moving oh, on no i we probably did that 10 times wow and and it's you know every every setup takes you, you have to Go all the way around again, you know, lead him all the way around and then come back in a circle to where he's in the proper tra trajectory <laughs> to pull him by that boat and take that shot. You know, it was like the helicopter. You know, of course, we had the real helicopter that the pilot flew in, mm -hmm. but we had an empty shell of, the, of a copy of the helicopter. That we just barely held together with, <laughs> really? with pop rivets and a hot glue gun. <laughs> well, how did you do the shot with the propellers hitting the water and all of that? Well, what? that's, you know, I mean, again, it's intercut. We're pulling the helicopter with cables as, and there was just like a, a variac built into the into the blades, so they would they would have the motion of the spin. They didn't go as fast as they right. could, should as have, of course. Yeah. yeah, but but as it hits, then you see the broken pieces of the blades. Uh, we loaded those up into air air mortars, air cannons, yeah. and shot them through the sails of the sailboats. Oh, yeah, which was great editing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's all done in editing. It's oh, all, that's yeah. the magic of Hollywood, you know? And like we're saying, you just, you shoot as much as you can and edit together what works best. And the island was fake, right? Yeah. Cable Junction was, that was all fiberglass rocks all tied down to the, to a barge. In fact, one of the last jobs that I actually had, we, we flew, of all things, we flew home for Christmas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> First unit wrapped to December 24th, and we flew home for Christmas. And then December 26th, second unit was back at Universal at 6 a.m. to fly back out. <laughs> really? <laughs> and, and I spent uh, New, Year's, New Year's Day or New Year's Eve at Navarre Beach at this Holiday Inn. They had the huge freaking block party in the holiday and it was really cool in the hotel in the movie 
Yeah. Well, yeah, right. They at the very beginning of the movie when they have the dedication and yeah, you know, Andrews and Barry. Yeah, that's that's the Holiday Inn. That was actually it. We lived there for seven months. <laughs> Did you ever talk to Roy Scheider? Oh, a little bit. He was pretty aloof most of the time. The guy who was really, really friendly was Jeffrey Kramer. What a guy. He was so cool. Yeah, the, the, a, the deputy. The deputy, yeah. He's such a nice guy. What about Murray Jovial. Hamilton? Did you meet Murray? Yeah, he is okay. <laughs> a little kind of silly, but, you know, yeah, he was, he was cool. He was more open than Roy. Roy was really, uh, according to everybody, Roy was kind of want to be there. You know, he was uh, forced to do it from contractual obligations from Universal. So, right. there, so he wasn't really happy to be there anyway. And, you know, he spent most of his time in a Speedo sunning himself. That's what I've with read. A, yeah. With a reflector panel under his chin. <laughs> Getting himself too tan for the film. <laughs> who, who made the burned up body? Did you work on that? Well, yeah, it was, we had it sitting in the office for the longest really? time. Really? Yeah, it was just sitting on a stool in the office, in the special effects office for months. <laughs> oh, that is great. Man, I love that movie. I think Jaws 2 is so strong and so underrated. Yeah, it's it's amazing, the fan base. It really is. I mean, like I said, this guy, Michael Smith, he he felt the need to write a book about it, and, and it's very well received. I love the <laughs> ending where Roy, you know, is tapping the thing and getting him to, he electrocutes the shark. I guess, were, sure. were you in the water when we do this? Was it dangerous? What, what did we use to burn the shark up? Well, you know, again, uh, it's all put together in edit, and we burned two different sharks um, the first one, I, I, I was very fortunate to be able to carry a 35 millimeter camera with me. Mm -hmm. So I have some really amazing behind the behind the scenes shots of both shark burns. Wow. Um, the, the close up one that you, you're really on top of, I was sitting there. There's this massive ship that has a crane and the crane has the the uh, cameraman in a wetsuit lowered down into the water so he can get the angle of the shark that he wants. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting right next to the crane with a fire extinguisher because <laughs> that's my job. Well, sure. And the pyrotechnician is sitting right next to me. And, uh, you know, we had run tests on back to the lot about what kind of different powders would work and look right. And, uh, you know, when you first see, I, I actually had a motor drive on my camera and I took six shots in a row. And the first one is just completely obliterated by the explosion. You can't even see the shark. Because ah, <laughs> there was you. so much, you know, always overkill, always more. <laughs> oh, that's great. But but as it goes on and and the fire comes down, you, you see all of a sudden you see the camera and get closer. And I have one shot that's just so beautiful Man, that's <laughs> of the shark just on fire and the cameraman's right there. Oh, I just oh, love that. I just love really, it. Real it quickly, so cool. I got 30 seconds. The shark okay. on the set is loud, right? It's mechanical. Oh, yeah. I mean, what oh, does sure. it sound like? Well, you know, the, the platform had more mechanics to it. Um, the, uh, the, most of the noise from the sea sled was happening on the ship that was towing it. So 
so you didn't really hear the same sounds out of the shark that you did from the platform shark. I got you. But yeah, I mean, they were, you know, huge metal cogs and <laughs> this gigantic arm, you know, that oh, lifted yeah. them. The magic of Jaws. My son and I, we love watching the Kurt Russell, John Carpenter movie, The Thing. Because how are you going to beat flamethrowers out in the snow? I mean, you're just not going to beat that. We're talking to Vaughn Babison, who worked on The Thing. How did you get that job? Because what an awesome movie. I'll tell you. Well, Roy Arbogast uh, was a foreman on Jaws 2. And uh, a couple of years later, he came back to the lot to do The Incredible Shrinking Woman, which was Joel Schumacher's directorial debut with Lily Tomlin. Ah, you got to make Batman and, and Robin and all that stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Joel, Joel Schumacher. Um, so he came up to me and asked me to work on Shrinking Woman. And I was honored, you know, thank you. Thank you very much. So the same scenario happened a couple of years later and he comes on the lot. There were two big movies, two big effects films that year, Cat People and The Thing. And I was going to have pretty much my pick of the litter there. I was going to get to work on one or the other. And when Roy asked me to work on The Thing, I just said, yes, I'm John Carpenter. How could I say no to that? Well, and, if uh, you'd have worked on Cat People, we'd all remember it. I mean, you know. It, well, you know, it's funny because <laughs> of all of the movies for me to pick, you know. And, of course, we all know it was a bomb when it released. Yeah, so, but it's so great. You know, Oh, but 40 years later, they're heralding it as the finest horror film oh. of all time. Oh, yeah. You know? Even made a pre and, pre prequel. Even made another and, one. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and back when it first released, they didn't even consider doing any kind of a sequel or prequel or anything because it didn't succeed, you know? Misunderstood. But, uh, it's kind of like, Blade, sudden, kinda like yeah. Blade Runner in a way. You know, Blade Runner. Um, yeah, sure. Same kind of, same era, and nobody yeah. got it. And now we all love it, you know, strange. True. Yeah, I know. It is It is bizarre. What did you But I'm build? really happy to what see did... John and Dean you oh, know, get, yeah. get their accolades. Definitely. What did you build on the thing? Oh, uh, let's see. <laughs> well, I had my hand in most everything. Um, I, I worked with Roy's crew. I worked for five months on, again, stage 27. That was our home, home stage. That was compound 31 was all built on stage 27. And we worked on, you know, gosh, uh, the, the floorboards, the creature that blows through at the end there. And that, that was one of the greatest effects gigs I ever worked it was so cool. Oh, yeah. um, the, the cart underneath the stage that on cue would fire the shell through the balsa wood boards and chase Kurt Russell down the hallway there. It's so cool. <laughs> but then we did, you know, there was uh, the autopsy scene. Oh, my God. That was, you know, Rob Botine really wanted a realistic look. So sure. he had us go to a butcher shop and get actual cow entrails <laughs> to load into the creature. It must have so, been shocking walking on a set and seeing the kind of things we see in the thing. I mean, it's, it's shocking. Oh yeah. They're, the sculpt, it was, I, I still say it was the most creative atmosphere I'd ever worked in. 
You know, you had these wonderful conceptual artists, like Maya Plug, um, Mentor Hubner. They worked for, you know, uh, Marvel Comics and these outrageous animators that they would draw the concepts. They'd sit there with Botin and they'd draw the concepts up. And then those would go over to the mold makers and the sculptors. And the sculptors would try to make those creatures appear as close to the pictures as they could, you know. And then the mold makers from the the sculptors, they would make these molds and and then fill them with whatever. I mean, there were all kinds of different things. Of course, foam rubber latex is, is really sure. what... Uh, you make prosthetics out of, and so that, like the whole chest blow from Charlie, that was all painstakingly sculpted, and you know it it just was just remarkable. And and everyone that worked on that, you know, there was Rob Berman who was from the Berman Studios, and Tom Savini came in and worked a little bit, and and Stan Winston came in to do the dog creature. Oh, there, that's so it was cool. like the just just the coolest of makeup effects people worked on that. It was just amazing. Well, I mean, Botine had just done, I guess, Empire Strikes Back. And I mean, I think he made RoboCop's suit years later. Well, yeah, he, he was a RoboCop guy, too. Yep. Yeah, he the Howling. Yep, the um, Howling. Yep. You know, he was a Rick Baker protege. I had worked with Rick Baker on The Incredible Shrinking Woman, of all things. He, he played Sidney the Gorilla because he had the best industry gorilla suit out there. And so I got to work with Rick Baker on Shrinking Woman, and then um, I, I had didn't didn't actually complete my thought on the cruise after the five months of working with the mechanical effects crew of Roy. Uh, he went on location and left three of our crew members back, which I was included. But the next day, again, another next day, uh, Dave Kelsey, who was a good friend of mine, foreman boss he was the head of the mechanical effects crew division of botine's makeup effects crew and so they brought oh, me over so there cool. for five more months and, and i got to work on just about every creature transformation you can think um i did one specific thing i did was i built a little corner of the kennel <laughs> when you see yeah there's there's a close-up of a dog He's in the crease. He's in the, the corner of the kennel, and he gets wrapped up by tentacles. Right. I mean, looks like he's just freaking tied up. Oh, yeah. Well, that was that was my baby. Oh, um, that's so great. I had I built that corner, and it had to hang upside down because it was a film effect. It had to go backwards. That is all shot backwards. So they had to hang the set upside down with the dog in place all wrapped up and gooed the heck out KY jelly up the yin yang. Yeah. Uh, that just was all wrapped up. <laughs> and then, and with all these loose tentacles outside of the, of the set, it was like when they said action, we just grabbed it and pulled as, you know, like a tug of war. And as the rubber tentacles got thinner and thinner, they started to release from the dog and so you can see these tentacles start to to go away from the dog, and yeah. finally there's none. And then they reverse the film, and you see these tentacles just freaking launch themselves into this oh, poor yeah. dog. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna have to go watch it again. I gotta ask you the obvious question here: You worked on the thing at the end. Is McCready or Childs the thing? What's your thoughts on that? I know Carpenter well, knows. 
You know, I, I swear that when it was first released, I heard an interview that John had said that they were both human at the end. Okay. Now, um, I, I stick with that. I, I say, if John said it, then John knows more than anybody. <laughs> well, you know, I understood but, they shot lots of different endings, and they would keep testing them, but he came back to the thing where they're just going to sit there and freeze to death together. Well, yeah, I, I don't know how many they did. I know there was at least one alternate ending. I don't know how many they they may have tried to, to shoot, but... Um, yeah, for sure there were two, and and this one was the one that they decided to go with. Oh, what a great film. So I got a couple <laughs> of minutes. I want to ask you, there's an Arkansas connection to a show you worked on, and that is uh, Gil Gerard is from Little Rock, and he ends up playing oh. Buck Rogers, and you worked on Buck Rogers. Nice. Well, you know, actually, uh, the first time I met Gil was on Airport 77. He's he's one of the crew guys on Airport 77. Wow. That that. That cast had a lot of up-and-comers. Monty Markham, Arlene Galanka. (laughs) There were so many people amongst all the big actors like Christopher Lee and Lee Grant and Olivia de Havilland and Jack Lemmon and Brenda Vaccaro, (laughs) you know. But there was, uh, uh, um, oh gosh, Darren, what's his name? The Night Stalker guy. Right. he he was in the cast, and like I said, Johnny Markham and Gil Gerard. So yeah, so when I got a shot to go play or go play, <laughs> go work with uh, Buck Rogers, um, I worked on the actual uh, uh, pilot, the the two part pilot, That's Awakening. Right. The, yeah, the Awakening. Yeah, it was. I was on the um, the ghoul set where uh, where it was like in a. Uh, smoky graveyard and tweaky and him are running around <laughs> being chased by all these kind of uh zombie-ish yes i remember guys. that like he tried and to that, go back to earth or something and it was all changed or something yeah, like that yeah. yeah and and that ended the first episode but also started the second episode because it was like i said a two-part story so that was kind of cool aaron gray shows up to save him <laughs> yeah wish that would happen but another cool thing was <laughs> I, I was actually new Tweaky, uh, Felix Silla. He's, he was a, a friend of mine. He lived in Vegas, but we, we hung out together. Um, he played Cousin It when the original Adams Family. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I think he was in a lot of things. I, I think he oh, yeah. was oh. in an episode of Dukes of Hazard. They did an alien episode, and I think I think he wore the suit in that. Yeah, Felix was a busy guy. No doubt about it. Any memories of Knight Rider? Uh, well, the car itself, you know, I was at the, on Knight Rider, I basically was in the shop. When I worked in the shop, the effects shop, I worked in the metal shop because there are different, different sure. variations. Um, but I was the only guy who was <laughs> hard enough worker to actually work in the steel shop and lug plates of steel and <laughs> right. holy mackerel, what a job that was. All the welding. Uh, you know, when we would we would weld in roll bars in cars and and uh, cannons. I don't know if you knew. Oh yeah, cannons uh, flip uh, the, do flip overs and stuff like yeah, that. You know, yeah. okay, cool. You know all about that. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, cannon rolls. So yeah, we used to do that. Load in a a length of telephone pole with a bomb in it. <laughs> 
That's basically what you can see in some films. You can see in the bottom of the truck in Raiders Lost Oh, yeah. You can see the whole thing, how it worked, you know? Yep. So very, very fascinating stuff. Man, I really appreciate you coming on Guantanamo Unplugged and giving us some inside look at things like Jaws 2 and and the universe. What do you miss the most about the whole movie thing? Gosh. It it was just it was so fun because it was never the same thing twice. You know, it would be like as soon as you got something down, you'd never do it again. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's junk now. The prop now is junk. It's and useless. It's, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. You know that I remember seeing the the big shopping cart we did for Shrinking Woman and the rocking chair on the tour for years after we had done that. Did you <laughs> get to keep anything set. cool? Me? Oh, yeah. I tried to keep. Yeah, yeah. I've got a oversized switch plate that was from the Shrinking Woman, and I had a full set of teeth from Jaws, but they're gone now. I gave them away to kids through oh, my life. Oh, dang! You know that kind of thing. You know how you know how it is. You didn't save me <laughs> one. Dang it! <laughs> <laughs> but I have my pictures. My pictures are are really cool. There's actually a book that Michael A. Smith put together. Uh, that's the making of Jaws two. And uh, he had done a first printing, but I met him online, and he ended up interviewing a whole bunch of other people, including myself, and he did a second printing. And he's he's got 28 pages of my story and all my pictures in his book. Oh, that is So that's fantastic. pretty cool. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> you have a lot of wonderful pictures. Where can people follow you online? I've seen some of them posted. Well, yeah, I, I'm... Most active on Facebook. I hate to say it. I know people are sure. against Facebook, but um, yeah. And and I even have a jazz and Hollywood page. I'll dedicate it to my father. And but there there are many different uh, groups, uh, crew stories, uh, a lot of thing appreciation groups out there that I usually you take part on. in and sure. share stories with. Well, thank um, thank you so much, Vaughn. I really appreciate you taking time sure, out of the day to, to be on the show. You guys go have a great Saturday. We'll see you next week on Guatney Unplugged.